0: Well, hello there and welcome to my podcast. If you don't know what this podcast is about yet, I interview people that I admire and in exchange, I paint them a little portrait, which is usually done on a reused piece of cardboard just to make this process a little bit more sustainable. My today's guest is Robert Scott Thayer, Robert is an award-winning recording artist, a watercolour painter, an ocean and climate advocate, and he is also the author of the award-winning educational children's book series called Kobe Manatee. His latest installment, Kobe Manatee Climate Change and the Great Blue Hole Hazard, is exploring the effects of the climate change on various creatures of the oceans, and particularly the manatees. It is a fictitious story with non-fiction facts and amazing illustrations by Lauren Gallagos. In this interview, we talked about Robert's writing process, the importance of raising awareness around climate change and taking actions, even if they seem very small. We talked about manatees and Robert's passion and interest for the manatee population and many other interesting subjects. It was a very warm conversation and I hope you will enjoy it as much as I did. You can also find out more on kobeemanatee.com.
1: Hi, Robert, and welcome to my podcast.
2: Hello, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you. I'm super, super excited to have this interview with you. I'm very, very curious to find out more about you and all the wonderful things that you're doing.
2: How well, are you? you? I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing very well. It's, oh, a, that's it's, a a nice. little, it's a little cold here in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, it? USA.
0: Mm-hmm. It's only about
2: 40 degrees, but I guess in your town too, it's pretty cool, right? We're in the same, yeah. you know, you got winter and we got winter coming and yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I'll just start by saying that uh, you are an artist, as am I, and um, let's start with the fact that you are a recording artist, you write music, you also sing, uh, you won several international music awards. Uh, You also wrote the award-winning Kobi Manti Children's Educational Series books. And uh, well, I also found out uh, just before the interview that you are also a watercolor artist. So we'll be talking about all that. And I'm excited to to learn more about all of these. But uh, first of all, I'm interested about the writing process. Because, you know, with artists, there's always this big question of inspiration. Where do you get your inspiration from? Um, how do you organize your work? I mean, are you waiting for the inspiration to come to you? Or do you organize ah. yourself and just wait? Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, you don't <laughs> yeah. wait for the inspiration, but you make it come to you. Uh, how do you work?
2: Basically, what's, what's interesting Going to, you know, focusing on my writing, Mm -hmm. I guess I was around six or seven years old. I always liked to research. At at first, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor Mm because I always wanted to research. Mm. And I I guess when I was six or seven, I guess during my research, I came across manatees. And for some strange reason, again, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, here in the Mm -hmm. United States. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, manatees struck my heart. I had such a passion for them. And so I said, eventually, I want to, you know, see these, these cool marine mammals and probably write about them. And Mm -hmm. fast forward, um, I became a copywriter. And if you recall the Great Recession of 2008, I was downsized as a copywriter. Mm -hmm. And it was 2009. And I said, I can't get back to the same level I'm at. So what I decided to do, you said, you know what, Robert? You got a business background, you got a creative background, you got a musical background. Let's put it all together and see if we can get some kind of silver lining out of this. Mm-hmm. And that's when I created the uh, Kobe Manatee uh, Children's Educational Series. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, for my writing, well, as a kid, Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham was a was especially of mine. <laughs> but as I studied uh, writing more. I knew I needed to have an outline and being a business, you know, also having a business background, I knew to get this off the ground, right. Back in 2010, I needed a solid business plan. Mm -hmm. I needed to be proactive. I wanted at that point, I said, look, what you're going to do, Robert, you're going to create a high quality children's educational series. You want a top illustrator. You wanted, I'm a conservationist. So I wanted to make sure that the paper I used was, certified it's called forest stewardship council fsc
0: mm-hmm. and if you
2: look at the back of my each of my books there's a little green um uh rectangle and that's the fsc certification so they regulate the forest uh, for that there's not many other children's books or books of that nature that do the fsc but i said you know what i'm going to do this right and fast forward now to 2021 i did it right i think <laughs> um, my, i follow an outline I always write down, for instance, the first installment, Kobe Manatee heading home to Florida. Mm-hmm. I uh, use Dr. Katie Tripp at Jimmy Buffett's Save the Manatee Club in Florida. And Dr. Tripp helped me do all the facts on manatees. And again, I use a, a plot arc where we have this setting. And then I make sure I have a lot of conflict. Actually, the more conflict you have in a book, a a movie, whatever, the better it's going to do because <laughs> mm-hmm. people would get bored if we had no conflict. So each of my installments does have conflict, at least three conflicts before the climax, before the main event happens. And then you know we have the, the quick falling action and a resolution. So that's the formula I use and so do many other writers. For my second installment, uh, Kobe Manatee, a wild weather adventure, uh, which is all about weather. I was lucky enough to get uh, Rob Marciano uh, in the States, Rob's as top senior meteorologist for ABC News and Good Morning America. Mm-hmm. And Rob helped me do the uh, the, the fun facts, Cody's fun facts for weather. In my third installment, uh, Kobe Manatee Shipwreck Sea Friends, I was uh, very lucky to get Fabian Cousteau as my visiting expert on the, that installment. And Fabian's the oldest grandson of legendary ocean pioneer, Jacques Cousteau, and For my current installment, my fourth installment, Kobe Manatee, Climate Change, and the Great Blue Hole Hazard, I was, again, very lucky to get Dr. Tracy Fanera, who's also known as Inspector Planet. Tracy was more than willing to help me out. She went above and beyond um, helping me out on this book. And Tracy is seen on the Weather Channel. She's also a finalist for the uh, 2023 SpaceX moon mission.
0: Wow. And
2: when she was, you know, she got to the top of thousands and thousands of candidates, I believe for that mission, they're gonna have eight people on the crew and she's a finalist for one of the eight, which is fascinating. So that, in a nutshell, that's how I, you know, get these things, um, get, get my writing going. The, oh, the other interesting thing about writing, which I learned very early, um, I, I used Lauren Gallago. She's a phenomenal illustrator. And we're both members of SCBWI and that's how I found Lauren. I wanted to make sure that, you know, looking through hundreds of portfolios of illustrators, I found Lauren, and I said, oh my gosh, the emotions she can put into characters is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So Lauren and I became a team back in, I guess it was 2011. And our first release, uh, installment one, came out in 2013. The other interesting thing I learned about writing children's books, it takes between Lauren and I about two to three years to complete one book. Um, I'll go through about 30 drafts. then I'll send it over to my editor. She'll yell at me (laughs) and and send back back a draft, which I'll redo and then send it back to her. Mm -hmm. And Lauren, again, she is so detailed with her uh, illustrations, that's why it takes so long. So each of our books take two to three years. Um, now, with my current installment on climate change, that was scheduled to come out um, last uh, September 2020, but obviously the pandemic put, every, put the whole world actually on hold. Yeah. So it was this past um, September that I was uh, able to release the, this installment. And unfortunately, well, lucky enough, but it's also unfortunate, climate change is such a big topic in the news so for the release of this book, I think I was blessed in a way that it really coincides with all the news we hear today on climate change, uh, how the earth is warming, how the weather's warming, things like that.
1: Well, wow, this seems like a massive amount of work, of course. And uh, <laughs> as you're saying, the business background uh, together with the um, artistic background and with all these amazing people that you're collaborating put together the basis of uh, this series and the amazing work. And as you're saying, the illustrations are really, really beautiful. And they're really um, attractive because, uh, especially with children, you you need to attract their attention with... Absolutely. Absolutely beautiful illustrations so uh, if we're just talking about this uh, last book that you wrote about climate change as you're saying it's been um, around a lot on the news and it seems that um, it's actually been a talk for a few years Uh, I mean scientists were talking about it um, I don't know 50 years before and there wasn't so much attention as it is now Uh, Do you want to tell me uh, a little bit about your interest in climate change? When did it start? Because I know you love nature. You love walks in nature. So I assume you're you're always fond about uh, protecting it and so on. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure, absolutely. I've always been uh, interested in nature. And like I said, back in 2010, when I got my business plan together, I said, you know what? Climate change, and I'm back, this is back in 2020, is so important to me. That's why I wanted to use the FSC Forest Stewardship Council to certify. Mm-hmm. We can only, you know, bring limited uh, certified forests into the game here. But I was always interested in, in science, environmental science, earth science. Mm-hmm. And um I guess it, well, again, the book, this book, won't say this is now 2021. So, I started this book with Lauren probably back in 2018, late 2018, early 2019. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we were seeing, um, as I'm sure you were in in Europe, higher and stronger uh, storms, Uh, hurricanes were stronger, flooding over here was stronger. And we were breaking, you know, record-breaking temperatures happened really quick since I would say the research over the last 20 years, we've had unbelievable you know it's almost like each year we have a new record-breaking high temperature whether it be in paris or uh uh, romania or 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 the united states this past summer was one of the hottest on record and more unfortunate on the west coast of the united states up into uh, uh, british columbia they've had they had severe forest fires and it destroyed one of the towns in british columbia this has never happened in history in california We've had a five-year drought. It's been unbelievable. Are the reservoirs out there, like Lake Mead, for instance, I believe it's down 30 feet. And this is all due to warming, uh, you know, warming temperatures yeah. and the, the heat. So, the, you know, what happens with, with climate change? Fossil fuels, oil, coal, uh, gas is, is used to heat our homes and schools and to, you know, to drive our cars. And these release greenhouse gases ozone carbon dioxide methane and these greenhouse gases actually trap heat it doesn't let the heat from the earth escape up into the into the atmosphere above the atmosphere and that's why it's called greenhouse that you get that greenhouse effect when you you know when you walk into a greenhouse it's really hot and humid and things well that's what's happening now and the more we use the fossil fuels the more of these greenhouse gases are let loose uh, into the atmosphere and stratosphere. And that's what's blocking everything, blocking the heat in. And the result, well, we have record-breaking temperatures. We have melting icebergs in Greenland. We have sea level rise uh, that, that's really uh, concerning. I have a good friend who lives on the, uh, Jersey, in the Jersey Shore area. And this year, he's noticed, you know, when I go down and visit at high tide, it's very, the, the ocean's almost up to the, the, the dunes. And this has never happened. Mm -hmm. And it's only during low tide when we can play something called bocce ball. You take a ball and throw it. And whoever gets the closest to the little white ball is a a winner. You know, it goes up to 21 points. But the only time we can play that is at low tide. And it's really, it's really concerning. Uh, Miami, Florida, they, it was a couple of years ago, they actually had to build certain streets two feet up to stop the rising water. And this is all very, very concerning. And it's, it's only getting worse. And that's why I'm really happy that I'm getting this new installment out about climate change. Uh, because I believe it can really teach the children, you know, get them going at a very young age. You know, the parents and the, everybody take them to a zoo, take them to a local aquarium. Let them see how the animals need sunlight, uh, food for nourishment. Uh, look at your gardens as, as you're young, and how the plants need you know in sunlight and food for nourishment. And climate change is affecting all of us. It's so important at this young generation, and in, in my opinion, to let them learn about climate change once they're able to talk, because mm-hmm. I believe they'll be much better educated for climate change, and they'll be able to deal with it much better with climate change uh, mitigation. So it's a main concern of mine, and I'm so happy to be involved uh, uh, with Dr. Tracy Finera on this subject.
1: Yes, it's a very important subject, and there are a lot of uh, worrying things happening around the world, as you said as well. And yeah. um, but you you know sometimes it seems that. Uh, Children take uh, the issue of climate change more seriously than some adults. Of course, it's Absolutely. been uh, a lot of awareness lately. But, you know, take the example of uh, Greta Thunberg and so on. I mean, children yes. nowadays are really interested uh, in doing real actions or raising a lot of awareness. And I was wondering, of course, you said that um, uh, one of the aims was to educate, you know, children uh, on this issue. But uh, was this another reason why you uh, addressed this? Big issue, particularly to children, because they are, they have an unbiased way of understanding and they're more open to learning about it.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, Before the pandemic, I used to do a lot of author visits, you know, in the schools, in the elementary schools. And the children, are, they're like a sponge. I mean, their hands would always go up. They'd, have, they'd always throw me off course with my presentation. But that's fine because they, they were so interested in learning so much about, for instance, manatees or weather. Obviously, I didn't go out to the new circuit yet on climate change because of COVID. But they're just so interested in learning. And from the parents, I have... Uh, some friends that have children, they say, Robert, my gosh, my kids know more about climate change than I do. And that's true, but that's fascinating. You know, that's fantastic that this young generation is really learning so much and teaching the parents, but it's a good thing. You know, we're all in this together. And if the children have to be little experts, I think that's great (laughs) because it's going to be their future. You know, we, we want to make sure their future is secure and uh, sustainable.
1: Exactly. Uh, so let's uh, go now to the subject of manatees uh, in general, ah. because November, and we're now in November, is the Manatee Awareness Month. And uh, yes. I, actually, just looking on uh, your website, kobemanatee.com I learned some interesting facts that I had no idea, uh, <laughs> for example, that manatees can live for more than 60 years. Uh, yes. A manatee is related to the elephant. I had no idea. <laughs> Um, and that they are warm-blooded um, and they need water tempers, uh, temperatures uh, to be at least 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Or they You're could... an expert, yes. Well, <laughs> I took all these stats from your website, so it's super, okay. super useful. Um, Great. Right and i was wondering i mean earlier you said you developed a passion about uh, manatees at a very young age uh, yeah. but uh, you seem to be doing really a lot of work um uh, related to awareness and to, tell me what, um, more about manatees why they're special for you and uh, what other work are you doing to protect them because they're actually uh, an endangered species
2: that's right they are actually what happened in 2017 they were up, uh, upgraded from endangered to threatened, which should have never okay. happened. Yeah. We only have about 6,500 mm-hmm. of these marine mammals left in the in the Florida area. Basically, and again, I, like I told you, when I was young, it's really strange, but I, I, through my research, I just developed a passion for manatees. Mm-hmm. And going, going back to author visits, when I visit the schools, the kids will say, oh, you're from Florida. What's it like in Florida? And I say, no, I was <laughs> I was born in Philadelphia and they really can't believe it. So it's a strange thing that I got this really cool passion for manatees. <laughs> and it, it never went away, it only got stronger and stronger. And what, what, what's so interesting about a manatee is like you said, and it's on the site, manatees are related to uh, elephants. If you look at it, a manatee with the gray skin and tough skin and an elephant with the gray skin, you know, the t- they look very, very, very similar.
0: Mm-hmm. And another
2: interesting thing, elephants have toenails. And what's interesting about a manatee, they have two flippers and a paddle-shaped tail. But if you take a flipper, and this, this can happen several times, if you're on a paddleboard, don't be afraid if a manatee comes right up to you, puts both flippers on a paddleboard and says hi to you. They're very curious and they're friendly animals. But on the flippers, there's three to four fingernails. Mm-hmm. So this, we're going back 45 to 50 million years ago when it was actually one land animal that became uh, that you know morphed into an elephant and a manatee. Uh, they said the, the gang that wanted to become elephants, look guys, we wanna, we wanna party on the land and eat the uh, leaves and stuff. And the, man- mm-hmm. and the manatee side said, no, nah, we love the water. We love swimming. So we're going in the water. So that's how this all developed. Their birth, they're both uh, herbivores. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. They're just such fascinating animals, warm-blooded. Um, in the wintertime here in the States, in Florida, they actually come in from the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico because they are warm-blooded. Um, again, they need temperatures of at least 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So when they migrate inland, uh, Florida's natural springs are 72 degrees year-round. So they're looking for this warmer water. And they also go to uh, the discharge of electric plants because electric plants, to create that energy, you know, they need the heat. And they'll go to, for instance, Manatee Lagoon in the on the east coast of Florida, or in the night a beautiful spring they go to is Blue Spring State Park or Wikiwache uh, uh, Springs. And it's, it's just fascinating what these animals do. We know, well, unfortunately, we know we had a, a manatee called Snooty that was in habitat for sixty years before Snooty died from an unfortunate accident. And this happens a lot with not only snooty, but manatees, they're curious. And sometimes you'll see them get caught in drain pipes, uh, other exchanges, and they need to be rescued. But unfortunately, in the aquarium, snooty couldn't back out of there's a little, uh, well, it wasn't little, <laughs> manatees can get up to uh, uh, eight to 10 feet and get up to 3,500 pounds. Um, the average manatee weight is about 1,000 pounds, but snooty couldn't back out of the uh, of the uh, area he got into and unfortunately drowned manatees are mammals just like us so they need uh, fresh air to breathe Mm -hmm. Um, every five minutes or so they'll they'll rise to the surface and breathe and the way you can tell manatees are there you see rings in the water their two little nostrils will uh, just breach the water and now that we have manatee season in, in the states here in florida it's really important for boaters to go follow these signs, you know, go very, very slow, no wake, because what happens? there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boat strikes each year. The boat propellers will hit the manatee as the manatee is coming up to the surface, and creates these scars. Um, and what's unfortunate, each manatee scar is is unique. So the scientists are able to identify the manatees by their scar patterns. It's it's unfortunate, but it's a way to identify uh, the manatees here in Florida.
1: Wow, well, you know a lot about uh, manatees, and um, I'm glad that you have this passion. I'm I'm sure that all manatees in this world uh, are grateful to you as well, uh, because <laughs> of all the work that you're doing. Oh, and of course, um, Kobe Manatee is uh, your main character as well. Do you want to tell us um, a little bit about the storyline uh, in the latest? climate change and the great blue hole hazard what are the adventures of kobe
2: oh okay sure well in in this installment the fourth installment kobe and his sea pals test the seahorse and pablo the hermit crab (laughs) they were at the cayman islands in the the caribbean and they travel they want to kobe wants to uh, help his uh, cousin quinn clean up some plastic litter around a brand new seagrass cafe Uh, and so what they do they leave the cayman islands and then they are swimming west towards the country of Belize. And as they swim in these beautiful waters, they encounter plastic cups, straws. Lauren does a wonderful job of uh, putting in these uh, images of plastic pollution all throughout the uh, all throughout the book in her great spreads. And what happens? The first scene, the first area of conflict, the ensemble comes across this. Uh, Sea turtle. It's actually a loggerhead turtle. Mm-hmm. And the turtle is struggling because plastic, you know, like a plastic bag or something, is wrapped around its face. So Pablo, the, the little hermit crab, is able to, you know, snip that plastic off. And the reason this is happening so much, all about 50% of sea turtles get involved with plastic and it, they struggle with it because jellyfish are their main source of food. And if you know how jellyfish sort of move their tissues, you know, like they're flying a little bit. If you can picture a a, ba- a you know plastic litter, plastic bags in the ocean, they're also flapping in the current. So the turtles mistake these plastic bags for a yummy jellyfish snack. So that happens there, um, and then there's a few more instances where there's a Portuguese man o' war that that's very close to them, and the and that's a that's a little crazy there because the tentacles get very close to the ensemble. Um, there's another instance where Tess. Actually, uh, it jumps off of Kobe. Again, the, the ensemble. that Kobe's the main protagonist, mm-hmm. uh, first-person narrative. And and the and Tess and Pablo always just kits ri- her out on Kobe's back for the adventures. So Kobe shimmies off. I mean, uh, Tess shimmies off for a, a nice shir- shrimp snack. And poof, here comes a spotted scorpion fish that just almost got her. And Kobe jumped around really quick to save her. And then right after that is basically the climax Here comes that big blue monster, uh, the Great Blue Hole. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, just east of Belize. It's one of the most famous, actually, it's one of the most famous areas in the world, uh, the Great Blue Hole. Uh, It was Jacques Cousteau discovered this, I believe it was back in 1971. And then his oldest grandson, Fabian Cousteau, and Sir Richard Branson in 2018 actually did their first submarine dive. It was a little, there was three, there was a pilot, Running the, you know, the, the submarine, uh, mm-hmm. Fabian and Sir Richard Branson, they went to the bottom of the Great Blue Hole, which is about four hundred and twenty feet. And as they went down, that you know, you lose all light. It's all at the bottom. It's basically all dead. It's, there's nothing living there. And you know what they found?
1: Nothing.
2: <laughs> they found
1: plastic. Uh, and plastic.
2: Can you believe it? Oh my this? god! The In candle. there. Yeah, at the bottom wow. of the Great Blue Hole. Wow. So that's, that's that's I mean my God that's the last thing I thought they'd find I thought they're going to bring us back some really interesting research of uh, other you know new stuff they but I couldn't believe wow. nobody could believe it yeah so that's a shocker <laughs> so and that's why it's so important to yeah. really get the plastic pollution and pollution in general under control mm-hmm. and to really it's it's up to each one of us to work on the climate change solutions we can each you know throw recycled plastic um use recycled reusable bags instead of plastic bags mm-hmm. uh, at your grocers uh, that type of thing so that was basically it and then well that's where the climax is so i won't tell you what happens there and hmm, then the next step they find well they they're able to get to the, the cafe because mm-hmm. kobe's uh, Cousin Quinn waves at Kobe and oh, good! And all the ensembles there. And Quinn says, if you guys can help me clean up some plastic litter around uh, my cafe, I know it's a lot of work, but once we're done, we're going to have plenty of fun. So that's what keeps the kids <laughs> engaged. <laughs> and also, like you said, the illustrations, Lauren does such a phenomenal job with each illustration in the, uh, in, in the whole series, not only in the fourth installment, but the whole series.
1: I'm sure that these books are not only interesting for children but also for adults. I mean, I I am w- already curious and interested about learning <laughs> more. Absolutely. about Absolutely,
2: <laughs> yes, Daniela. Because you're right. Um, for instance, going back to book one about manatees, each of my books has a little. Well, we have the you know the fictitious story, and then we have weaved in nonfiction facts. And if you see my books, there's little tan squares that are called Kobe's fun facts. So for book one. Each of these little facts is about manatees. They're warm-blooded. They, they can actually, in the summertime when it's warm, again, they, Florida's their main area. But in the summertime, they can travel as far north, and that's what book one's all about, is Massachusetts. Uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, as a matter of fact. That's what book one's about. Kobe leaves Florida and travels all the way up to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. But it's late September, and they're warm-blooded. So in New England, we're cooling off pretty quick. And that's what book one's all about. And, and uh, as he travels back to Florida, he meets uh, Tess the seahorse. Uh, I guess I was around Connecticut or somewhere as he's traveling <laughs> south. And Pablo the hermit crab a little further south. Maybe that was Jersey or uh, Delaware, somewhere there. And then they become fast friends, uh, fast friends. And that's how that works. Book two is all about weather. Uh, I talk about hurricanes, water spouts, Thunderstorms, that that type of thing. And the friends encounter all of it in in that adventure. Um Book three is about colorful reef fish identification with Fabian Cousteau. And Lauren does such a phenomenal job. Each of each of um, I introduce new reef fish on each page. And Lauren painted them exactly how they are in nature. And I actually learned a bit too, because I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know some of these names, but through my research, and Lauren and I decided which fish to put in the book, and you're right. It's adults. They learn so much, too. Mm-hmm. And, w- you know, with my current release on so climate change, I each of the little facts I talk about uh, organizations like Fabian Cousteau Ocean Learning Center dot org or for ocean These are organizations that the children and parents can join and really help fight against the uh, plastic pollution and climate change. It's so important. So adults do learn quite a bit.
1: How do you find names for a characters? Because not only oh. do they look cute, thanks to Lauren, but they, are, they also sound so cute. How do you find the names? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, what's interesting, I'll, I'll start with the, the, the protagonist, Kobe Manatee. Again, mm-hmm. I started the plan and everything back in 2010. And what I wanted to do, this was in my business plan. Uh, my mantra is what Walt Disney's creativity and, and branding is doing with a mouse I intend to do with a manatee mm. and keeping that mantra on the side here, always looking at it. I wanted to trademark Kobe manatee. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning I had him called Marvin, the manatee, but I said, nah, that's alliteration. That's really not cool today. So Marvin was in, then I went to a couple of names and I got Cody, C O D Y Cody manatee. And since I wanted to trademark, I did some research on trademarking and I found Cody there was plenty of trademark entries, Cody pajamas, Cody bedsheets, that kind of thing. So I said, oh my gosh, I can't use Cody. And then I kept thinking of names and it was a few weeks and something just hit me, Kobe, K-O-B-E-E. And I, I did research on that and there was hardly anything in trademark, in the trademark search. And I said, ah, oh, I got something here. <laughs> I said, boof, there's Kobe. So we had Kobe Manatee, um, Tess that name came through, I believe, uh, editing. We you know going back and forth with my editor, mm-hmm. and, or I thought it's us, and she said, "Let's let's put another name in, like Pablo." So we have a nice, you know, description of different uh, cultures in a way with the different names. And on my newest book, Tamika, that's another great name. You know, so we're really hitting all the different cultures of, of the with the names in mm-hmm. this in the whole series, actually.
1: That's great. I love it. I love the concept. I love uh, your work around it and all the values that you bring together. It's really, really uh, beautiful and well done for all your work. Uh, oh, thank I, just, you. I just want to ask you as well, because you mentioned uh, small changes like uh, having a reusable bag instead of a plastic bag, especially as you want to raise awareness uh, around plastic pollution. But, you know, sometimes I hear people saying, oh you know the problems are so big uh, and i'm so small I, there's nothing i can do to change this i don't have power over this um but i i personally believe that we can all do small changes and together they'll uh, they'll make a great action so i was wondering what you could tell uh, your our listeners on this podcast and to your readers uh, about doing this kind of small changes do you think that you know that they are uh, also important because yeah as i say again uh, i hear a lot of people saying well yeah okay i'll i'll have a reusable bag but then you know <laughs> there's so much plastic uh, out there already or there is this uh, another huge problem that someone else should take care of it like the government or i don't know what so what's your opinion about it
2: yeah actually we're we're all connected all the whole world is connected to one another. Mm -hmm. So if each of us does our part, we can actually control and mitigate climate change and plastic pollution. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe it's Norway. Uh, They use four plastic bags per year. Here in the States, we use one plastic bag per family per day. So you can see some of the different behavioral and cultural effects already with climate change. And it's so important to, to get the awareness out there and now I think everybody's starting to see it by, by the extreme weather. You know, these, these breaking heat records, extreme flooding. I, I know Germany had their worst flood over the summer this year. Um, melting icebergs. Uh, the sea level rise is really getting worse. And I think it's just starting to hit people now. OK, there's, you know, there, there's definitely something going on. My weather isn't what it used to be 20 years ago or, you know, 10 years ago even. So, and if each of us just starts doing our part, perhaps if we're able to bike, if we, if we uh, live fairly close to work, you know, bicycle or walk, walk walking's good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, limit, uh, limit use of plastic bags, get that reusable, you know, buy a, one or two reusable bags and take that to the store because plastic, it's just unbelievable. Again, to, to create plastic, we're using fossil fuels. Another interesting thing, your clothes. Um, polyester, you know, polyester material is actually plastic. Yeah. If we can go, when you go shopping, try to look for 100% cotton or linen, which are natural fat fabrics, and they do not affect the climate change, that type of thing. So it's so important. We can each we we can each do our part, and if we start right now, you'll see a big change in the in where we're going with climate change. COP 26. Uh, is fascinating, which is going on right now. I think it goes till November twelfth, and I just read in the news recently there were there demonstrate thousands of demonstrators, young people outside of uh, uh, Glasgow, Scotland, are, are are saying, "Look, we let's get this going now." They're they're upset mm-hmm. and understandably upset. They know, they can see the changes in the weather. So I think the awareness level for climate change is really starting to go up, 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 which is great. And with my help and Dr. Tracy Finera's help with these young children, and as you even said, they're smart. <laughs> these, little, <laughs> these little children are like sponges. Yeah. They, know, they know so much about climate change. They really do. So if we each do our part, we're going to see a big difference. We really will
1: exactly thank you for bringing out this uh, powerful message and uh, before we wrap up i just want to ask you quickly about your watercolors as well because ah. i i found out about it today from you and i want to hear a little <laughs> bit more about it well, tell thanks. me what type of uh, arts do you do what type of watercolor and why you are drawn towards watercolors in particular
2: well that's that's a good question i actually I, I started painting at a young age, just like writing and researching. And I started with oils Mm -hmm. and oils were, and they were all right, (laughs) but for some reason, I mean, if you make a mistake with an oil paint, you can paint over it. That's all right too. You know, it's very cool. I did it for several years, but I, I I like the, and you have some fantastic oil paintings in this world. I mean, there's brilliant, brilliant art pieces of oil paintings, pastels, acrylics. But for some reason, I like on watercolors, here we're using water. We're getting a piece of paper wet if we want to wash or we do a dry brush, just take a, some of the watercolor and don't put water on the paper. You know, that's called a dry brush. But I love where the water takes over. And mm-hmm. me as the painter or artist can actually watch especially for skies, you know, it's fascinating to watch your dab maybe a paper towel or a sponge on the sky and then you have your blues and you'll watch it just run. And it's natural, just like the sky's natural. And I let the watercolor dictate <laughs> what it's going to do. If there's some, well, there's obviously, you know, there's always going to be, Oh, I said, Oh my gosh, look, that little black thing's running the wrong way. <laughs> so I'll, I'll get a paper towel and dab that, you know, get that out of there. And, and, but it's just fascinating. It's always a chance. And the fun thing is, as I'm sure you'll agree, you know, when you're you working, you stand back and you say, oh, this is coming along and you go back again. And with watercolors, I could I could keep painting forever, <laughs> but it's got to come you know, I'll put a little more shadow here, back up. Oh, I'm going to, do I want to lighten this a little bit? But there's, there's a point where you just have to stop. <laughs> and, and that's what I'll eventually do. I'll stop. And then I was always drawn to Landscapes. And I, I also do still lifes. I didn't, what's interesting, I didn't do any still lifes yet in watercolor, but I did still lifes in acrylic. And I eventually, once I get back to uh, painting again, I will do still lifes in watercolor. So, but I'm, I love watercolors.
1: <laughs> I guess it, it makes also sense uh, why you love oceans as well. You you love water in general. Ah, oh, you know what,
2: <laughs> excellent. I didn't even think of that, but sure, that's how- Absolutely true. I just thought you absolutely I love water. <laughs> Maybe that's the whole thing. <laughs> the universe saying, Hi hey, Bob, you have to say, you know, we, we know you like oils and acrylics, but we want you to go to you know, use the water now because you like the oceans. Maybe that's a good observation. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm looking at your watercolors right now and uh, I really love them. They're really beautiful and they have a peaceful kind of air to them. And uh, with this kind of uh, message, uh, I want to end this podcast um, and uh, not before asking you, is there anything else that I didn't ask you and you wanted to talk about?
2: You, you left no stone unturned. <laughs> is, you're, you're an excellent interviewer. Um, and I think you handled it all. Again, I'm very excited to have this fourth installment out. And again, the timing couldn't be better, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, because climate change is really a big subject around the world. And it's getting more, you know, it's more and more people become aware. So mm-hmm. I, think, um, I think you hit it all, which is great. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, you're an amazing person to interview. I'm uh, very honored that we had this chat. And I thank you for everything that you told us and for the very, very important and much needed work that you're doing. Uh, And I wish you best of luck with everything um, and keep doing this work that you're doing. We're waiting already for your next installment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank
1: you. Thank you.